Hi, this is David Bedford, Beatles author and historian. You're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Debbie Greenberg, who has a long history with the Cavern Club, the historic Liverpool, England venue where the Beatles were discovered. Debbie was a Cavern Club member from 1959 to 1966 and she saw all 292 appearances by the Beatles. Her father then bought the club in 1966, and she helped to run it. Debbie was there throughout the early years of the Beatles, when they went from basically the house band at the club to worldwide celebrities. And she was there when the Cavern Club put Liverpool on the map, with the Mercy Beat sound from all the other great bands like Jerry and the Pacemakers and the Hollies. And as you know, in each episode, I feature one of my songs underneath the introduction and at the end. And in this episode, my featured song is my reimagined version of I Want to Be Your Man, a song that was sung by Ringo in A Hard Day's Night. And I renamed it I Want to Be Your Girl to fit my female singer. So Debbie Greenberg, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. You're here live and in color from Liverpool, huh? <laughs> yes. That's terrific. So, I mean, the, the Cavern Club has been in your family for so long. It's been in your life for so long. Tell us about how it first began for you. What attracted you to the club? Well, I started to go to the Cavern Club in late 50s. It was still a jazz club then. And in 1960, rock and roll started to infiltrate. Skiffle had been introduced before that. But in 1961, on the 9th of February, uh, the Beatles made their debut at the Cavern. And that, that was no going back after that. They were absolutely amazing. Now, you were there for that debut? I was there. They, they just exploded onto the stage. And they were, they were intoxicating, that they, they were exciting, that their energy was palpable. Everything about their music was loud. And they, they were just fantastic. We hadn't seen anything like them before. Was there a buildup for their first appearance? Or did they just happen to be there one day? Now, there was a build-up. Um, they'd appeared on the Litherland Town Hall on the 27th of December, uh, 1960, and they'd been billed as direct from Hamburg, and everybody was going wild. I hadn't been to that venue uh, to see them, but we were all anticipating this German group arriving at the... But when they arrived, that they were Scousers, they were Liverpudlians, and they weren't German at all. You know, they were, they were our boys, so to speak. Um, but yes, they were absolutely fantastic. And once we'd seen them, we just wanted to see them forever. Now, this was at a time when Pete Best was in the band, I assume. Am I correct? 
Yes, Peter was in the band. Peter was in the band at that time, yes. And Stu Cliff was as well. There were five of them then at that, uh, that period. I see. Stu Cliff was with them from the 20th of January through to the 21st of March, um, or the 23rd of March when they, they left uh, to go to Hamburg for the second time. And the kind of music that they were playing at that time was a lot of cover music, wasn't it? It was. Um, they used to play things like um, Besame Mucho and Ain't She Sweet and Till There Was You. And, of course, they used to do the, uh, the rock and roll numbers as well, you know, the Little Richard uh, numbers uh, and uh, Money. And oh, they, they used to – it was very varied – all, all the songs that they played were, were so varied, but but we it didn't matter what they sang. We we just wanted to, to, to stay with them forever. <laughs> all right, back up a little bit. Describe for people in my audience that don't know, what did the Cavern Club look like? Oh, my goodness. Well, you would go down a small entrance about three feet wide, and there were 18 stone steps going down into the basement, which was about 11 feet below ground level. And when you got to the bottom, uh, you'd go down 14 steps with a little landing. And then the, there were another four steps going down into the club. And it was uh, three arches, three tiers um, and three tunnels. And once you got down into the first tunnel, then you could go into the second tunnel, which was the middle tunnel, and the stage was right at the bottom of the middle tunnel. Now, it, it wasn't uh, set up as a music club, meaning it didn't have the acoustic baffling and the like. It was kind of a cement type of fortress, wasn't it? Yes, it, it, the acoustics were very good in the cavern. Um, although the the amplification that they had in those days, you know, was nothing to compare with with, with what they have today. But but it was loud because it it was a tunnel effect. It used to bounce and reverberate off the walls. And did they have their own sound system in the club? Uh, no, not at the beginning. No, it, they. In fact, they used John and Paul used to share a mic, or George and, and Paul used to share a mic, because uh, everything w w was very basic in the beginning. Okay, so let's go back. They played the first engagement in 1961, and you and all the other people in the club were knocked out by their sound, huh? Oh, blown away. Absolutely. They, we couldn't put our finger on it. They were different, that they were so different. And I was there for every every single session that they played. I was there. And I can remember saying to my dad, there's a group on at the cavern, and you mark my words, they're going to be famous one day. <laughs> uh, well, you were ahead of everybody then, huh? <laughs> it seems so. <laughs> Were you there the time when, you know, there's a famous time, of course, when Brian Epstein came to see them at the cavern. Did you happen to be there at that moment as well? Yes, I was there. And of course, we knew Brian um, and Alistair because we used to go into NEMS to buy our records regularly from them. Uh, so we knew who they were, but, uh, but they looked out of place because Brian was so well-groomed and immaculately, immaculately dressed. But we, we thought, well, you know, he's in the music business. He's probably just interested. So, yes, we knew who he was. 
and describe what the girls looked like back then. I've read in your book, which we'll talk about, and in other places, the style that the girls had at that time. Well, we we wore black uh, polar neck sweaters. We wore um, trousers. In the very beginning, we, we had little pencil skirts to the knee. Uh, we wore duffel coats. Um, if you could afford leather, you, you would, would uh, buy some leather, you know, a little leather jacket or a little coat. Uh, but that was um, very few and far between. There weren't many people who could do that. Um, but it was predominantly black for the girls and a similar sort of uh, a fashion for the boys, a little black leather jacket and a black polar neck and black trousers. And what was the age range at the club? It was it was young, you know, it was only about 15 upwards, 15 to 18. 18 was quite old, really, at the time. I see. So it, the club did or did not serve alcohol? No, not at all. Just Coca-Cola. And, Just Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. <laughs> was there a cover charge to get in? Yes, um, one and sixpence in old uh, money before decimalization. Um, a shilling, if you if you paid your membership, which I did, um, I got sixpence off. So I got in for a shilling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about the reaction of the, the kids to the band? I mean, you love them. Were the girls screaming back then or did that all happen later? Oh, the, the, all the girls loved them. And, you know, they had a big following of, of, of lads as well as girls. But, you know, because the cavern was situated in such a way, the, the front row seats were only about a foot away from the stage and the stage was only about a foot and a half, two feet high. So it was like a private party every time they played. And you could interact with them. You could ask them for requests. You, you, you could, they, they'd bounce off the audience with, with jokes and, and quips because it was it was so intimate it was it was so different to anywhere else i see so did the beatles did did lennon in particular have the the same kind of sense of humor that we saw in him when he finally when they finally got to the united states uh, yes he, yes he he had a, a dry sense of humor john um he could be very cutting as well you know but uh, we got used to that we, we got used to it very quickly we realized what he was like <laughs> hey everybody my follow your dream handbook is an amazon number one bestseller it's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream it's available at amazon and wherever books are sold check it out today all right. So who was your favorite in the group? Uh, Paul was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard that when when Pete Best finally was replaced by Ringo, that there was an outcry. Is that correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, that was the 22nd of August, 1962. Uh, Pete Best had, had um, been removed on the 15th of August and on the 22nd of August was Ringo's debut at the Cavern with the Beatles. Um, it was filmed. Granada Television were there. They, they filmed it. And, of course, Ringo had replaced Pete on the drums. 
And we couldn't understand why Pete had been removed. And then suddenly we have Ringo. And we knew who Ringo was because we knew him from the other group, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. And so the girls started to chant, Pete forever, Ringo never. <laughs> and, and this went on and on. And there was a blackout. Um, and uh, Paul got on the piano and played When I'm 64. And and then the lights were restored and, and things went back to, to some sort of normal. But uh, yes, they were angry. Somebody gave George Harrison a black eye that day as well. So, you know, there was a lot going on that day. You know, it's, this is a part of history that, of course, the rest of the world did not get a chance to see. In America, our beginnings with the Beatles all started with uh, this famous appearance, as you probably know, on the Ed Sullivan show when they finally had a number one hit. And of course, by then, Beatlemania was in full swing. But you yes. got to see them at such an early time before all of this took place. Yes, right from day one right through to, to when they left on the 3rd of August, 1963. We, we, we traveled in with them on their journey right the way through. Did you ever keep in touch with any of them? Well, it, it wasn't easy to keep in touch with any of them. Um, we still see, today we, we see Mike, Mike McCartney, uh, occasionally, you know, if, as a function or, or, or a fundraising event. but. Um, it's very difficult. They, they keep themselves to themselves now. Uh, 25th of October, 1968, Paul McCartney walked into the cabin unannounced one day. My dad was stocking the, the top bar and he introduced himself as the Paul, dad said, Alf Gagan, the cavern, and Paul put his hand across and said, Paul McCartney, the cavern. He said, I've got my new girlfriend in the car outside uh, and I'd like to show her where it all began. Um, on one condition that you don't bring the press in. And my dad said, you've got it. So he said, I'll be about another hour. Yes, I've got a message to do. I've got to, del to deliver um, a record player to Ruth, my, my uh, stepsister over the water. And uh, I'd like to come back in about an hour. So dad, I'd been to the hairdressers, came back, found out that I'd missed Paul, but dad said, there's a chance he's coming back. So don't worry. You, you keep stocking the bar, put the champagne on ice. I'm going to go and buy a camera. And dad went a few blocks away, uh, bought a Yashica camera, uh, explained to the photographer that he wanted it to, uh, to photograph a group that he managed, which were on stage rehearsing at the time because he didn't want to, uh, say anything about Paul and the photographer came back to the cavern with him set all the dials on the on the camera ready for, for, for the, uh, the the lighting in the cavern and he said now don't touch it all you've got to do is press the button so we waited and sure enough Paul came back with Linda we closed the doors so that the tourists couldn't come in and we we, we went to the top bar when dad went to pour champagne and Linda said, I'll do that. I'm a good bartender. So she took over uh, and dad said, Paul, could we have some private photographs? Uh, would you mind? He said, no, not at all. Linda picks up the camera. I'm a good photographer. I'll do that. <laughs> so she picks the camera up, turns all the dials on the front. And my father's face was a study. He thought, oh, that's it, that's torn it. Because we hadn't got a clue that she was a good photographer at all. <laughs> so 
she took some photographs. We didn't know whether they'd turn out or not. And then we talked and reminisced for about half an hour. And then we went that the top bar where we were was at number eight, Matthew Street. So we, we made a big uh, new staircase going down into the cavern proper when we took the cavern over. So when we went down into the cavern proper, the curiosity shop, the group dad managed were on stage um, and they went silent when they saw Paul. And Paul walked over to uh, an upright piano, which was situated just outside the band room to the left of the stage. And he picked the lid up and he started to sing and play Hey Jude. Wow. That was absolutely surreal. <laughs> we, we were just absolutely mesmerized. And then he got into the band room, got on stage with the group, took his place on the drums, tinkered about with the drums with them for a little while. And then Linda took more photographs. And then very soon it was time for them to go. Um, but when we finally got to the photographers to get the photos developed, of course, they were perfect. She was a good photographer. <laughs> you, you had one of the world's great photographers <laughs> we filming this for did. you. <laughs> Isn't that a lovely story? Debbie, you wrote a book about your experience at the Cavern Club. Why don't you tell everybody about it? Yes, it's called Cavern Club, The Inside Story. I was prompted to write the book because rumors were going around in 2012-2014 that the blame for the demolition of the original Cavern Club was being laid at my father's feet. And my father had passed on. He wasn't here to defend himself. And I knew that that wasn't the truth. So I was determined to put the record straight. And that's what prompted me to, to write my book. But it covers the 10 years of my experiences in the cavern, five years as a member and five years as an owner with my father. Uh, and we sold the club eventually in 1971. And now it exists as a tourist center in Liverpool. Is that correct? It does. It does. Um, the re it is a replica, of course, um, but it's a very good replica. And, you know, they have done as much as they possibly can to, to reinvent and, and to re relive the, the time of the cavern. And it, it's excellent. It really is excellent. That's terrific. But, but we're talking here with Debbie Greenberg, who was a member of the Cavern Club for so many years. She saw all 292 performances of the Beatles, and then she became an owner with her father. Debbie, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, everybody, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. <laughs>